This is Live on Purpose Radio, episode 477. What is positivity and why does it work? Now is the only time to create and live the life you love. I'm Dr. Paul Jenkins, the positivity psychologist. My job is to connect you to powerful positive psychology principles that immediately upgrade your relationships, business, and mental health. Are you ready? Let's jump in. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Live on Purpose Radio. We've got a new year, a new format, and let's jump right in today because there are some important things that we need to know about our own brain, our own mind. My job is to illuminate the obvious. This is really cool because I get paid to tell people things they already know, but there are obvious things that are completely unnoticed. Obvious, but unnoticed. Let's go there for just a moment. Your clothing, can you feel it? Well, now, now that I call it to your attention, it's obvious, but completely unnoticed up until the time that I said something. Or the fact that we're speaking English. Anybody notice? Now, unless you're just learning English, it's a second language for you, or something along those lines that calls it to your attention, you were probably unaware or didn't notice that we were speaking English. Now that I've called it to your attention, it's obvious, obvious but unnoticed. This is the realm in which most of our psychological processes happen. It's in an obvious but unnoticed space. You're going to see it immediately as soon as I call it to your attention. But up until that point, you don't really notice. I get asked all the time in my practice, what is positivity and how does it work? Or why does it work? And this ties right back into the obvious but unnoticed processes that I wanted to call to your attention today. Before I do that, let me just share a little bit of my own process with you. I have been a professional psychologist now for over three decades. And in all the time that I've been doing this, I've been trying to pay attention to what is it that makes people tick? I hit a point in my career, this was, oh, it's close to 15 years ago now, when I hit a low point. And I talk about this in my book, Pathological Positivity, where economically, I had gotten into some investments in uh, high-end real estate assets that um, were providing some investment income for us. Turns out that I didn't know what I was doing. And if you don't know what you're doing, it's not an investment, it's a gamble. This is what I've learned through the experience. But long story short, we hit a point where it was the lowest point in my financial economic life, resulting in a bankruptcy. Now, I'm grateful for it now because I can look back on it and see all of the lessons that I learned and everything that it taught me. But at the time, that's hard. And you've probably noticed this as you're going through life. One of the chapters in my book is titled Surprise, 
as you're going along and you expect life to go a certain direction, right? And then it goes a different direction instead. Surprise. And that's where I found myself. Now, I was already a professional psychologist. I had a, a very busy, full practice. In fact, there was one point where I had a waiting list of five months. You couldn't even get an appointment with me. You had to go on a waiting list. And, I, and yet I had negative cash flow. Now, part of it was the investments I was talking about, but part of it had to do with a, a system that I had bought into, third-party reimbursement through insurance companies. I won't bother you with all the details about that. But long story short, here I was in a place I didn't expect to be. And folks, I had to test the principles, the very principles that I've been teaching here at Live On Purpose Radio since 2007, that's when we launched this podcast, or on my YouTube channel, in my private practice, these principles that I teach, I had to test. And I had told people for years that happiness is a choice. How annoying is that, really, when people say, well, happiness is a choice? If you're not happy, that is so offensive and off-putting. And... I, it's because we don't understand how that actually works, how happiness is a choice. I'm going to get right back to that here in just a minute. I wanted you to know that I have not only learned, but I have earned these principles that I'm sharing with you through my own experience. And I had to figure out, really, is happiness a choice? Because here I am at the bottom of a well with my head wrapped in a blanket after a severe beating figuratively. And I had to really test the principles. Is it a choice? Is happiness a choice? I can tell you from that time forward, as I, I took everything that I learned in graduate school and through all of those years of clinical practice, as I took that and started to look at, okay, Dr. Paul, how does this apply to you? And does it really work? And I had to test it through my own life experience. You know, I've shared this with some of my clients, but one of the most surprising things to me when I was, was just in the throes of all of that economic turmoil, and I came, came out of that courtroom where it was declared that, yes, you're officially bankrupt now. And I noticed that everything was still in color. Somehow this surprised me. I don't know what I was expecting. Some old 20s movie or something where everything's in black and white. Everyone's dressed in black and moving very slowly. I don't know what I expected, but there's color. The breeze is blowing. Kids are playing in the playground. Birds are singing. The world kept moving forward. And somehow this surprised me. See, we get way too attached to our circumstances. And I, I will save that conversation for another episode. Let's go back to the basic model that I learned through this experience and through all of the clinical practice that I've been engaged with for the past 30 years. There are two processes that I want you to notice. Now, these are obvious, but unnoticed. That's the realm that we're in. You're going to see them immediately as I call them to your attention. And these two processes are the, the foundation of understanding 
how to operate the equipment of our own mind. So the first one is evaluation. Evaluation meaning judgment. And here's what I want you to notice. You are constantly judging, aren't you? Yes. Notice it. You judge yourself. You judge your spouse. You judge your coworkers. You judge your job. You judge the economy. You judge the pandemic. You're judging me. It's cool. I'm judging you. You can't turn it off. This is like gravity. You ever get up in the morning and think, huh, I wonder if gravity's on today. No, because it's on. Always. And it's always working. See, this is what I'm referring to when I talk about principles. They're natural laws. They are always on. And you can count on it. And that's something you can count on, that you are constantly judging. Now, the word evaluation implies comparison with some standard. Compared to what? I, I ask my audiences sometimes when I'm giving keynotes or trainings, am I a tall man? And they have their opinions and they'll say, well, yeah, you're pretty tall, I guess. I don't know. And, and then I show them a picture, a slide, a picture of me standing next to the legendary Mark Eaton. If you don't know Mark, go look him up. He still holds one of the five top shot blocking records in the NBA. He used to play center for the Utah Jazz. And we lost Mark last year. Um, we will miss him greatly. What a great man he was. Seven foot four. Okay. I'm six foot two. But when I stand next to Mark Eaton, I look like a shrimp. What a giant of a man he was. And, and so notice that your evaluation, your answer of am I a tall man or not, depends on who or what you compare me to. It's a standard of comparison. And if you don't have an immediate standard to use, you will make one up and you've got a really great imagination. You can always imagine something bigger, something better, something more. And you can always imagine something smaller, something less, something worse than what you've already got. Notice that. So when we judge our what it is, you've heard this phrase too, right? It is what it is, which can be annoying as well, depending on who's saying it and why. But notice that your what it is could always be better. And it could always be worse. So when you look at your life and you say, oh, this is hard, really? Compared to what? Well, compared to something easier, it is hard. Compared to something more pleasant, it is painful. Compared to something better, it is worse. Do you see that? I'm not here to tell you how to think. I do not have that kind of authority. I want you to see that you are thinking, and that thinking matters. It makes a difference. We'll be talking about that in other episodes as well. But just notice for right now, that you are constantly judging, you cannot turn that judgment off, and that judgment or evaluation is the clinical word that I use, that evaluation 
implies comparison with some standard. Just notice that you're doing that. Now, why is this important? Because how we judge our what it is depends on how we're what we're comparing it to, and that affects our feelings. Our feelings in turn affect how we show up, what we do, and that creates our results. So this is all tied together. I just want you to see that you're constantly evaluating. You can't turn it off. Now, what's the other process? I told you there were two. And for this episode, that's our focus. Evaluation and creation. You can't turn this one off either. Any more than you can turn off evaluation or gravity. You are constantly, constantly creating. I think it's in our divine nature that we we can't turn it off. We are creators by design. It's what we do. We have to create something. Now, if you're not sure that this is true, look around yourself a little bit. I have people all the time coming to me, Dr. Paul, look at this mess. And I'm like, "Um, (laughs) yeah, where do you think that came from? My bankruptcy, you guys, that didn't just poof out of thin air into my life. I created it. I created it. Now, this takes a little bit of soul searching. You got to kind of swallow hard and realize, oh, huh. You know, there's there was a time I was taking a drive to see a client in southern Utah. And for those of you who know the geography in southern Utah, a little town called St. George right on the border. And I'm driving to see one of my clients that lives in St. George. I knew I was in the wrong place when I looked up and saw a sign that read, Arizona welcomes you. And I'm like, Arizona, this isn't even the right state. This isn't where I wanted to be, not what I had in mind, not what I was planning or hoping for. And then I look down and guess whose hands I see on my steering wheel. See, that's the bad news. If it is bad, I don't think it is really. That's the hard part. That's the painful realization when you look down and you see your own hands on the wheel and realize, look, I'm here because I drove here. And that's where I found myself in that bankruptcy. Where are you right now? Look around yourself. Are you in the right state? Are you where you planned to be? Is this what you wanted or hoped for? And if the answer to that is yes or no, look down and see whose hands are on your steering wheel. This is so important. There's another concept I teach in our coaching programs that live on Purpose Central about the victim paradigm and the agent paradigm. And in that victim world, we don't take personal responsibility. It's like, it's not my fault. We want to find someone to blame something or someone. Who am I going to blame that I'm in Arizona instead of Utah? It's my hands that are on the steering wheel. Okay. And there's a story behind it. I get that. But what I want you to notice is that you are taking your life somewhere. You have to. I I was doing a training just a couple of weeks ago before the holidays with a group of 50 CPAs. And as, as we were having this training, I gave them a little assignment. I said, okay, you guys, I want you to take 15 minutes and just go out 
of the room or whatever you need to do. Go out there and somehow make your life worse. Ready? Go. (laughs) And then I'm like, no, don't. Don't go. Look how quickly your mind can come up with half a dozen ways to pull that off. You know you could make your life worse. This is a representation of how powerful you are as a creator. Notice it. And if you can make a mess, this is good news, folks, because if you can make a mess, what else can you make? See, that's the good news. We have to create something. Messes or masterpieces, you choose. Choose a position. Now, let's go back to that mental process that is obvious but unnoticed of how we're going to create things. We have to first imagine it. Everything, look around your room again. Everything that you see that was created by someone was created first in the mind. They had to imagine it. They had to see it. And from that mental creation, they make blueprints, they make plans, and they make things. This is how things are created first mentally, then physically. So we have to imagine it. Now, when you imagine or predict or expect, because you don't know. In fact, just go there for a minute. How are you doing next week? Yeah, you don't know. You've got something to do with it. This is really important. But you don't know, so all you can do is imagine or predict or expect what's coming. And then we go out and create it, right? But when you imagine that what's coming is even worse than what you've already got, how do you feel? Notice that. Okay, this, my friends, is anxiety. That's 30 years of clinical experience in a nutshell. Anxiety is when we imagine or predict, or expect that what's coming is even worse than what we've already got. Notice it. Now, conversely, how do you feel when you imagine, because you don't know, that what's coming is even better than what you've already got? How do you feel? See, this is hope, excitement. Now, you'll notice that we're using our imagination for both of these processes that I have shared with you here today, evaluation and creation, neither of which can you turn off. But we're using the same tool, our own mind, our own imagination to drive both of them. That's why I want you to see it. Look, you don't get to choose or pick what it is. I was visiting with a friend just yesterday who was just wiped out by COVID. He did not pass away, but he he lost the use of his right arm. He was in a coma for a couple of months. He was just, it wiped him out. Okay. He finally came home, not because he was better, but because the insurance ran out. And now he and his family are just trying to get along and, and aid his recovery. Thankfully, he's doing a little better. But when you look at You're what it is. Is it COVID? Were you devastated by COVID? Did you go through a bankruptcy like I did? What about about a divorce or some kind of a devastating diagnosis or life event? Whatever it is, okay? An accident, whatever. 
Notice that you are evaluating it. And then you are moving forward from this point to create something. And what are you going to create? That part's up to you. And how we feel is affected by how we do these two processes, evaluation and creation. You can't turn them off. You don't get to pick what it is. My friend didn't get to pick COVID. It just happened. It came to him. All right. Just like your circumstances have come to you. It's not like you raised your hand and said, yeah, sign me up for that. It shows up for you. You don't get to pick that. What do you get to choose? You get to choose how you do these two processes that I'm sharing with you. When, when I talk about positivity, I am not saying just ignore the painful stuff in your life and paste on a smile and move forward with, you know, pretending that there's no issue. That's what we call toxic positivity. And you'll hear about that in the mainstream media a little bit. My book is titled Pathological Positivity. It sounds similar, but there's an important difference. See, pathological means crazy in psychology, but it also means compulsively driven. Like with a pathological liar, for example, they just can't stop. Pathological positivity is a dogged determination to choose a positive position in both of these processes, evaluation and creation, no matter what is going on in my life. See, the circumstances just don't matter that much. What matters is how we judge those circumstances, evaluation, and then from that energy, how we move forward into our creation mode. I mentioned your imagination, your mind as being the main tool that you use to do both of these processes. And it's kind of like when I say tool, a hammer comes to mind. And do you know how on a hammer, there's two sides to that, to the head of that hammer. On one side, you've got a blunt face for the purpose of driving nails. You swing that hammer and smack the nail with the flat side. Okay, because the other side is a claw. And that has a different purpose for pulling nails out, for removing nails. You can't use the claw to pound a nail and you can't use the face to pull one out. It's not designed that way. Similarly, our imagination in our mind has these two ends. You can always imagine something better. That is not for the purpose of beating yourself up because you're not there yet. See, that's an evaluation error. And the claw, you can always imagine something worse. That is not for the purpose of expecting that that's what's coming. That's a creation error. You imagine something worse to see that you're already in a pretty good position compared to that. See, that's an evaluation and then you use your imagination of something better to create the template, the blueprints for what you're going to go create. This is what we call positivity. It's choosing the positive position in both of these mental exercises. That, my friends, is the most powerful concept that I have learned in 30 years of clinical experience. Did you get what you came for? Give yourself the gift of taking real action on what you realized today. 
Please share this episode with someone you know would value it and leave us a rating too. It's time now to live on purpose. <laughs>